listening to Radio Maria England and this is Father Toby with your word for today. And I want to, to share with you today my reflections on yesterday's gospel, which is taken from uh, John chapter 14. Jesus said to his disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I shall ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever, that spirit of truth whom the world can never receive since it neither sees nor knows him. But you know him because he is with you, he is in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come back to you. In a short time the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live and you will live. On that day you will understand that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Anybody who receives my commandments and keeps them will be one who loves me, and anybody who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I shall love him and show myself to him. You may or may not have noticed that I sometimes try to begin a homily with a clever little anecdote or story which gives an unexpected way into the readings and see how they relate to our lives. Reading this gospel made me think of one attempt at being clever that went pretty wrong. Back before I was a Dominican and was still a lawyer, I was giving a session to the candidates preparing for admission into the church at Easter at my old parish of St. Patrick's Wapping. And this particular session I was giving was on the Trinity, and I opened with what I thought was the clever little question of, if I told you that you had to love someone, what would you ask me? Now, I had thought that the answers from the group were going to be, well, I'd want to know what the person was like, or I'd want to know as much about them as I could. I'd thought this might then be a nice little segue into why we should read about, study about, as well as pray to the persons of the Trinity. We've been told to love God, and so we should want to know God. That was how I thought it would go. It didn't. The responses were more along the lines of, who are you to tell me I should love someone? And you can't make me love anyone. And I probably should have seen those answers coming. If I'd been as clever as I wanted to be, I would probably have seen them coming. We might sing, love and marriage go together like a horse and carriage, but love and compulsion, well, they go together like melon and mackerel. And in case you're wondering why I chose the melon and mackerel example, that's a genuine starter that one of the brothers in my priory prepared once. It's not a winning combo. Sometimes the penance in Dominican life is as much about what you do eat as what you don't eat. But we all know that love cannot be forced. You can, neither, you can neither force someone to love you, nor can you force yourself to love someone. George Michael was therefore spot on when he sung, because I can't make you love me if you don't. You can't make your heart feel something that it won't. But the opening line of today's gospel seems to put love and coercion together. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That sounds a bit coercive, doesn't it? 
But I think if we look a little deeper, we'll find that it's not. First, it's not Jesus saying that we have to love him, although he does say that elsewhere. And second, it's not even Jesus saying that he will only love us if we keep his commandments. Rather, it's Jesus saying that the proof of whether we actually love him is not us saying it, but doing it. We cannot love Jesus if we do not keep his commandments. It's a bit like in any relationship, if the other person tells us about something seriously, saying, I really hate it when you do that, and then you keep on doing that, you have to question just how much you love them. On which note, though, I can be a bit of a tease, and when somebody says, I hate that, I always try and test out just to make sure that they really do. As I said to the parishioners yesterday, perhaps why that's why I've ended up in celibate life. But we can also frame this in a more positive way. When you begin to love someone, you want to know what they love so that you might love it too. You want to know if they love curry and a Chinese so that you might bring them these things and know also that you love some of the same things. And if you're a guy like I was, you hope to find out that the lady doesn't have a particular love for particularly expensive things. Prefer Prosecco to Champagne? You're my kind of girl. Again, maybe that's why I've ended up in the Dominicans. But let's think whether we should love Jesus and whether we should keep his commandments. Well, on one level, it's pretty straightforward. Jesus died for you to save you. Jesus died for you so that you might have eternal life and joy. Yes, you should love Jesus. It's a no-brainer. But as we know, we can't force it. Some people might hear those things and be completely unmoved. They might even think they're true. And yet it doesn't actually resonate. It doesn't have any effect in their lives. So let's think more basically. Why do we love at all? Well, we love things and we love people because we think they're good. Now, we know that we can be mistaken about what is good, but nobody says, I love this thing because it's awful. I love this thing because it's evil. Perhaps the closest we get is when maybe we say, I know that I shouldn't love prawn crackers so much. They're really bad for you. And there we've got an example of loving the flavour or the feeling of something, but knowing at the intellectual level that it's not ultimately good for me. For most of us, be it prawn crackers or something else, there's probably something like that. Something that we'd like to give up because we know it's not good, or in fact, not just give up but not like as much, because we know it's not truly life-giving. But in some way, we're too attached to it, and we find that we struggle to give it up for the sake of something better. In the case of the prawn crackers, the better being lower cholesterol and better health. But the first and most crucial point that I want to draw from all this is not that it can be difficult to love. It can be difficult to love. It can be very difficult to love well. But that we can actually talk meaningfully about what we should love and what we shouldn't love. We know that there are things that we love that are not worthy of our love. We know that we think we love someone We know that we can think that we love someone and then be mistaken about who they really are and feel a fool or betrayed and think I should never have loved them. 
We also know that if a friend started dating a man who was abusive or who we knew was married or was generally unfaithful, we would say to them, he's no good for you. You shouldn't love him. Even if they insist I do love him, we would try and persuade them otherwise. Or if a child seems to love plucking the wings off living insects to reveal the childhood traits of one of my brothers in religion. Sorry about that, Father Joseph. But good parents will try and teach him to love better things than plucking insects apart. In other words, there are objects, there are ends that are worthy of our love. And there are objects and there are things that we do that are not worthy of us. Goodness and love cannot be divorced, and nor can truth and love. We cannot love someone if we do not know the truth about them. If we do that, we're only loving an image of them, not the reality of them. And when I'm speaking about love here, I'm not only speaking about it in the most profound sense of loving God and neighbor. I'm also talking at the most basic level of just being attracted to that which is good, the things we think worthy of our time and attention. And there are so very, very, very many things that are presented to us as objects of love, as worthy of our time and attention. Just on our phones, every time we open them up, we are presented with so many things competing for our attention. I find it exhausting. So many decisions and conscious, so many bad decisions can be made, so much time wasted. Time and attention are so precious. We should not be casual about them. But the architecture of the internet encourages just this. I get my phone out to do one thing, and I may end up looking at ten things, which perhaps, perhaps includes the one thing. We live in an age of an abundance of choice, which might seem good at first, but as we think about it, perhaps it's not as good a thing as it seems, because it seems to me we are being presented with so many choices that lead to nothingness, or even that the abundance of choice leads to a certain paralysis where we can't really choose anything in a meaningful way. But we are not alone in all this, or at least we don't have to be. In the gospel today, Jesus doesn't just say, keep my commandments if you love me, and then leaves us to it. Rather, he tells us, I will not leave you as orphans. And he promises to send us the spirit of truth, his spirit, the Holy Spirit. I wonder what might happen in our lives, in our decision-making, in the things we give our attention to, the things we love, if we would only bring the Holy Spirit into our lives a little more. If we would only pray for a little more guidance so that we might love truly, that we might love well. Perhaps if you said a little prayer each time you picked up your phone, well, for starters, you might be surprised how much you pick up your phone and you'll be praying a whole load more. But more importantly, perhaps, if we ask the Holy Spirit that whenever we go online, we might pray that we only look at that which helps us to grow in love, that we seek first and foremost to see that which is true and good and beautiful and not gossip 
not that which tears down, not that which turns people into objects. Perhaps we might pray to the Holy Spirit that what we look at, what we read, might increase a desire in us to serve, a desire to keep the commandments, a desire to love, more than it might increase in us a desire to buy and to consume. What we look at, what we read, affects our desires. It's why I know I need to put down my phone more and pick up more books and read more of what helps me to desire well, to spend more time with that which truly nourishes. Good reading can awaken our deepest desire and can direct it towards that which satisfies. In the last few months, I have found C.S. Lewis such a great help in that. Lewis said that one of the beauties of fairy tales was not only that they enchant us, but also that they can disenchant us from the spell of worldliness, which I think is a spell of weariness and an absence of religious feeling and imagination. Fairy tales like Narnia are, I think, much more important than most grown-ups think. Why did Lewis write them, and why did he think they would be good for adults, not just children? Well, Lewis tells us, I wrote fairy tales because the fairy tale seemed the ideal form for the stuff I had to say. I thought I saw how stories of this kind could steal past a certain inhibition which had paralysed much of my own religion in childhood. He describes these inhibitions to religion as follows. Why did one find it so hard to feel as one was told one ought to feel about God? or ought to feel about the sufferings of Christ. I thought the chief reason was that one was told one ought to. But as Lewis notes, and as my Trinity class showed, an obligation to feel can freeze feelings. Perhaps there were ages when simply being told you ought to do it would do the trick. But ours is not such an age. And Lewis also saw how simply being told to be reverent didn't help either. A call for hushed voices in church did not create a wonder in him. Rather, as a child, he just came to associate church with lowered voices and the feel of something medical. There was a sterility born out of familiarity without ever having truly engaged with what was vital and central. But, Lewis asks, supposing that by casting all these things of religion, of Christ and the Gospels, supposing that by casting all these things into an imaginary world, stripping them of their stained glass and Sunday school associations which have become tired, one could make them for the first time appear in their real potency. To really awaken our Christian imaginations, to really love Christ and so want to keep his commandments because we see their goodness, because we see that their opposites only bring about death. I'd suggest fairy tales. I'd suggest a reawakening of our childlike imaginations and heroism. I'd suggest Lewis and Tolkien. But I'd also suggest the lives of the saints those in whom we see the Holy Spirit active across all time and all ages, making things ever new.
enjoyed that beautiful piece of music that was the group Harper Day singing a chant of St. Hildegard of Bingen to the Holy Spirit. And Hildegard, declared a doctor of the church by uh, Pope Benedict, was uh, somebody who, who had a, a vibrant uh, sense of the, the richness of the, the cosmos, the cosmos um, full of wonder and meaning as enchanted because she saw all of it as touched by God. And uh, I think we could all pray to the, the Holy Spirit for the, uh, the reawakening of such a sense of, uh, of wonder and awe in the face of the glory of God's creation.